you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! The show goes on! This is my home! They're gonna need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here! They're gonna need to send in the National Guard a fucking SWAT team! Cause I ain't going nowhere! fellow basement dwellers this is your good friend patrick o'dowd welcoming you into another edition of bandwagon nerds bandwagon nerds is of course brought to you as a part of the chair shot radio network on the chairshot.com where we remind you to always use your head the chairshot.com always use your head and as you heard by that rather long introduction i am indeed back and I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Not now. Not ever. I don't care how off the rails the show gets in my absence. I don't care how nuts DJ gets. I don't care how many times PC Tunney pushes Elf on his Christmas agenda. I don't care how many times Dave allows wrestling conversations to take place on Bandwagon Nerds in my absence. I'm not leaving. I'm never leaving. They can't force me out. They can't talk about me. You know, Patrick's going to hate this. Patrick's, oh, I'm sorry, Patrick. And then you turn around and do whatever the fuck you want anyway. I am staying forever. And I'm staying today, tomorrow, and until I take another Sunday off. Because that's that's definitely going to happen somewhere down the road. I was waiting in the middle of that to go, yeah, I'm not going to leave it. Except for in two weeks, I'm going to miss. So you guys just behave that day. No, no. Right now, uh, you got 139 days from this recording. 139 days before I'm out of here or until the next bowling tournament comes around or until something comes up with my kid's school or until I take a sick day or I'm sure there will be a million reasons because I'm the tribal chief. That's my one wrestling reference today. I show up when I please. Anyway. That voice you did, of course, you heard the voice of one Mr. Saturday Night PC Tony. He is on the show with me today, as is my partner in crime, my typical partner in crime, the lawyer himself, Mr. David Ungar. He who remains not not on the show today invited DJ from the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. He is a coward and would not show his face upon my return. I told him as such when he declined my invitation. Uh, So there will be no fighting over Zack Snyder conversations from last week. Uh, Sad to say. The the rivalry continues. And yeah, so I'm, I don't know, guys. I'm I'm feeling good. How are are you all on this Kayfabe Monday? 
Dave, I just want to say I am so proud of the villain uh, Patrick has become. I really am. I I I thoroughly enjoy sitting here watching you work every week. It's fun. Oh, I, I don't, don't get a don't don't get a big head. But I meant what I said. <laughs> I got you. Don't get a get don't get a big head. But I meant what I said. Dave, did you miss me? Did you miss me? We didn't do hockey talk this week because I watched zero hockey while on vacation. Hey, well, you're welcome. Well, by zero the way. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Uh, sure. Yeah, yes, I absolutely. It. I missed you, Patrick. I, I mean, when, when PC Tunney starts trying to be the voice of reason on this show and, and rein everybody in, and then at the same time, play elf just to piss you off. That that's all you need to know. I, I mean, so yeah, I, I missed you. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad you survived the house of mouse, the land of mouse. And, uh, yeah, dude, I love the bubble, man. I love the Disney world bubble. I ain't even going to pretend like it. It's, something that i begrudgingly do for my my kid like i of the three odouds when we travel i'm the the most enthusiastic about it and i'm the one who could literally do park days rope drop to close and would be happy to do so and, and i mean like magic kingdom this week a couple of the days it was open till midnight opened at 8 a.m was open 8 a.m to midnight i would i would have stayed Till midnight, I would have stayed till park closed, given you, the opportunity. You, you guys, as much as your park guys and everything like that, you guys have to make it to Summerfest one year because you guys are music guys too. In the same way that you go to Disney World or Disneyland and other theme parks or Universal, to come here and go to the lakefront and the shore of Lake Michigan and literally have twenty free stages and two pay stages with every kind of band and every kind of food. You guys would just fall in love with that. I mean, it's not the world's largest musical festival for nothing. It just makes me think how much you guys would enjoy that, too. Oh, I would totally get behind something like that. I 100%. Like, I just, I'm very much, like, it's so funny. I think there are two, There, I don't know that there are only two, but there are two type of vacationers that I really run into when, when, I, when I talk to folks. There's the type of person who, when they go on a vacation, they're going to a place and they don't want to do anything. They just want to, like unwind maybe on a beach have a drink whatever i am not that kind of vacationer i am very much like if i go to a place i want to explore it i want to see what there is to see i want to do what there is to do i want to maximize and it doesn't matter what the vacation is like the, our family uh historically would do like weekends in hampton beach new hampshire it's like the state fair landed on a beach i am awful i am up at seven o'clock in the morning i am walking up and down a beach grabbing a morning coffee uh uh the family's still asleep although I'll, I'll go back we'll get up we'll might go to breakfast hang on the beach for a couple hours then go check out some of the tourist trappy shit like i want to do all of that and that's that's how i like to vacation and this vacation was a little bit different for me in that we we stayed all outside of the disney bubble for this trip. And so for those of you who don't know, staying outside of the Disney bubble means that you don't stay in a Disney resort. We didn't stay in what they call a good neighbor resort, which is a, a hotel that has a relationship with Disney to where you get, you get certain perks and park stuff. And, and really we tailored this vacation more after the little O'Dowd and Mrs. O'Dowd who like to sleep in. And so the thing that is cool about Disney though, is that you create, when you plan a trip for Disney World, you can create an account on what they call My Disney Experience. And when you have that, you link it to an app. And 
starting at seven o'clock in the morning, if you spend the extra money for what they call Disney Genie Plus, you can start booking reservations for what they call Lightning Lake. And basically, I was the guy who would set his alarm at 6.45, spend the money for Disney Genie Plus to then book the first lightning lane of the eve uh, of the day for the family. And then you don't get to pick your time for a lot of these, but you can modify it and keep pushing it back. And so what I would do is I would book the first lightning lane for the ride and then just keep modifying the time backwards. Yeah. And so we got into the afternoon. So like Mrs. O'Dowd, little O'Dowd, we'd sleep in, get a breakfast. And then because we weren't staying, because we were staying, uh, it doesn't matter if you're staying on property or off property. Uh, but two hours after the park opens, you can book your second lightning lane. And then every two hours afterwards, you can do that. And so you can do what you can do a practice that's called stacking where park opens at eight o'clock, 10 o'clock, you book another lane, reschedule it around your afternoon schedule. Noon comes around, you do it again and so on and so forth. And so for like our magic kingdom day, we didn't show up to magic kingdom until like, just before noon, which was a mistake because the crowd, the park was so crowded. It was the busiest day of all the days that we saw, just wall to wall people. It was a crush. However, I was able to book us a strong afternoon slash evening doing rides we wanted to ride, like the Haunted Mansion, some other pop, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is one of my favorite roller coasters in all of Disney properties. And we were able to get lightning lightning lanes, individual lightning lanes for the little O'Dowd and I to ride Tron Light Cycle Run, the newest roller coaster, at night on the Disney property, which is for my money the only way to ride that thing because of the lighting effects that they do with this roller coaster. It is dynamic. It's just amazing. And things kept working out for us on our trip while we were there. So the little O'Dowd and I, for our Tron light cycle run rides, got the first two bikes on the train. So we were literally the very front of this ride, seeing everything as it happens. And I will share you guys. I will share with you guys the pic of us because it uh, it does a, a picture of you, and it does a picture of both sides of the cycle. So each person riding it. No, nothing like that. Because like we were psyched. But you do definitely get to see where I'm losing my hair because it blows it back so fast on the launch chart <laughs> that you can see the receding hairline. It is amazing. Uh, Dave, you got nothing to worry about, man, because it'll just be normal. But me, man, it blew it way back. Yeah, Tony, yours is so short, it probably doesn't matter. But like so does that it, ride. Does it launch like uh, the Guardians coaster does at the beginning or just? Yes. Okay. No, it is a it is a 60 mile an hour launch into the ride. It's, did you ride the rock and roller coaster, the Aerosmith ride? Yes. Uh, yeah, it's very much like that, except faster and cooler. But it was great. We had a great time. It, it, it overtook the Little O'Dowd's favorite ride at Magic Kingdom of the Haunted Mansion, Tron. It's, you know, it's just one of those things. He's 11, and the thrill was just such. That, to me, we finished that ride, and as we got off of it, he was like, this made the vacation. He was like, I, I, this was the, this was so worth it. I was so glad we did this. I, I can't believe it. And we weren't able to ride it a second time because by the time we, we went to Magic Kingdom a second time on Thanksgiving Day, 
we were really pushing for a shorter time at the park and the lightning lanes that were available by the time we kind of made it so were later than we wanted to to be at the park so we just didn't see it through but just it was great it was an overall great trip and we're going back in April for uh, during the Little O'Dowd's April vacation. Their their uh, their spring break in Massachusetts. They get a week off in the middle of uh, in the middle of April, and so we're going to go back and we're going to stay on property at the Wilderness Lodge, which is one of the deluxe resorts. And the, some of the perks that come with that, uh, they do what are called extended evening hours, where you stay later in the night if you stay at a deluxe resort, and they rotate different parks, so you can kind of plan your day. We have a park hopper privilege um, because we're annual pass holders. So we can go to one park in the morning and then after two o'clock hop to whatever park we want to. Uh, we're planning on doing a resort day. I'm really pushing for, because the resorts in and of themselves are kind of a sight to see if, if you want to do that. And so we might just do a resort day where we just hop different Disney resorts. It's going to be great. Uh, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward. And that's the thing that's kind of why I love going to a place like Disney World, because it really has so much to do within that bubble that it's you it's literally never the same trip time. every trip has been completely different and unique unto itself and i love it so um thank you for letting me talk for 10 minutes on my vacation and how I mean, great it was guys it's my turn this week for the other other side of the coast and I know, I hey keep, uh sonny next week next I week keep, i need you to post the show i gotta keep pitching to patrick to come out west what Dave, dave's not gonna be around for next week's show and, and so oh, that's uh, fine I got that down yeah. to an art. Yeah, I, I know. You probably have it up instantly. Uh, uh, or or as soon as I give you the synopsis of the show. But we do have um we have we have a bit of we have a, a smaller show this week in terms of topics, uh smaller bandwidth. I I say smaller in the sense that I didn't put a ton of articles or things to discuss. We're of course continuing our conversation about Doom Patrol. We have season four, episode Eight that we are covering today, which kind of a blah episode, if you ask me. Uh, a lot of, uh, I don't know. I, I was, I was not a big fan of this episode. Uh, I do want to. We got a trailer park. Tony hated this episode. We'll get to that in a little bit. I, I, I like our trailer park this week. Uh, went with the trailer that uh, Dave shared. Uh, a couple of trailers that Dave shared at the DC side of things, and then I think a really uh fascinating documentary that's coming up on showtime that is uh that is available to stream if you have the right paramount plus account uh before we get into some some casting rumors and some film rumors you know the usual stuff but before we get into all of that guys it's it's time for me to talk about last week's show I got a lot of problems with you people <laughs> now you're gonna hear about it <laughs> Fuck me, says Tony silently into the microphone. I actually, I don't have a lot of, I don't, I don't know if problems are the right words, but I really did want to talk about a couple of things that you guys talked about in last week's show, particularly around Fantastic Four rumors and 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 your evaluation, particularly Dave's evaluation of, of the Madam Web trailer, because Dave, on, I feel, is a little, geez. Dave's a little pre mad at Madam Why, Web, and just. I just disagree with your assessment, and we'll and we'll get to that. But the first thing I did want to talk about, I want to talk about the Fantastic Four casting rumors, which are now flying hot and heavy, right? With the latest rumor that seems to have legs, and, and I would argue it has the same kind of legs as the Krasinski rumors had for a long time. But we're we're getting this word that, um, and I always get him here. Pedro Pascal 
seems to be the rumored le- uh, in talks lead for being Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards himself for the Fantastic Four film. And I, I, I find it to be very interesting casting. You know, and I, I remember you guys talked a little bit about it. If this is a true rumor, um, you know, really talking about intentionally not casting sort of, a you know, the Fantastic Four was, quote, too white, according to rumors and reports. And so that's why some of the casting rumors that are that are floating around are floating around currently for who they've cast as Reed Richards. And I don't did. Was there somebody who is rumored to be cast as Sue Storm? And I miss that. Um, or is it just that Pedro Pascal? Just him. No, there was his, some, go ahead. There was me. a God. I can't remember who it was. No, go ahead, Dave. I can't remember who it was. Not, there was a rumor. Not oh, recently. Sue not Storm. since Tony and I imposed the ban on casting rumors. We haven't heard anything about we Sue did. Storm. But uh, the other that. one that they Javier Bardem as Galactus was the other. Yes, one. that's one. The Galactus one, which no, no I, galaxy for old men. Well, Galactus is such an interesting character. Don't know sell that, Patrick. God damn it. But I'm the number one chair shot villain. I know. Good job. I'll shut up. You're welcome. And so the Galactus rumor, I don't even know if I really want to talk about I I think Galactus as a as a foe, that is an extraordinarily challenging foe to translate to film. And I'm not sure how that's gonna go. So I want to pause that one because I think that is an extraordinarily risky proposition as long as he's um, not a cloud patrick that's probably well, was was that was antonio banderas being rumored for that or was that something else at one point for? and po- okay. at one point his name was his name was bandied about uh, for me and i know this is the other conversation because i know you guys talked about the jonathan majors thing which there's still no news marvel has not officially dropped jonathan majors we got this that this report out of Variety, I think it was a Hollywood reporter, somebody who saying that, you know, this is imminent, it's going to happen. And yet it still hasn't happened. And so until it officially, officially, officially happens, until Marvel puts it out there, Jonathan Majors and Kang the Conqueror are still what's going on. Now people are reading into tea leaves. You know, we got a change in director for the Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, uh, as the director from Shang-Chi, who was originally slated to be that director, has now been pulled from that project said he's no longer part of that project is still doing the sequel to shang chi and some other stuff within the mcu we'll see pedro pascal as a casting for reed richards i didn't get some of the reactions i saw out of articles that seemed to be really against this and i and i don't know if it's just because people aren't familiar with the character because I saw, I think Dave shared an article that was like, money's this big MCU problem. They're just throwing money at a character and getting a big name when they should have a young, unknown person be Reed Richards. Kids, Reed Richards, unless you are lo- Reed Richards, unless you are looking at the Ultimates universe, which maybe you are, the Ultimates universe is the only universe that has had a young Reed Richards. In Marvel canon, Reed Richards has always been an older dude who has history with Victor Von Doom because they were college uh, class contemporaries. And I think, Dave, you may have even mentioned this, that part of the, one of you, somebody talked about one of the big scandals was always that Reed Richards married younger with Sue Storm, who is a who is younger than him in the comics and is, and is younger than him as a character. So casting Pedro Pascal, who's a middle-aged dude, to play a middle-aged scientist with stretchy powers, 
I don't see that as a problem. Pedro Pascal is a hell of an actor. I think he would be a very fine Reed Richards if this rumor turns out to be true and would be on type, at least in terms of the age generation piece of that character. So let it marinate. I don't I don't know. I just didn't I didn't have a problem with that rumor. Uh and would be perfectly fine with someone like Pedro Pascal being cast as Reed Richards because I've read comic books and it seems like the Hollywood reporter has not. I don't think either of us disagree with that. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Okay, on to Madam Web. Dave, I just don't see what you see in this trailer. And I want to be... And hold on, hold on. How dare you respond? How dare you respond? No, no, no. I haven't given the statement yet. He can respond to the same thing. Because I want to I want to be clear. I by no means think that looking at Madam Web, I'm going cinematic masterpiece. Sony has solved its Spider-Man problem. I want to I want to be very clear about that. But I do not get a a charmed CW teen angsty film out vibe from this trailer because I, I don't know. It was, it was a group of women who are flung together by fate. Madam Web is a character who, you know, her whole shtick is is fate and, and seeing intertwining paths and fate. The character itself, while historically and traditionally has been an older woman in the role more recent comics have had her be a younger iteration somebody in their 20s so that seems to be where the influence is coming from my biggest problem with this trailer was actually the ezekiel character who was a villain but not when introduced in the spider-man comics so ezekiel was during the J. Michael Straczynski period slash John Romita Jr. artwork of The Amazing Spider-Man. And in that arc, Straczynski tells this tale of Ezekiel, who has similar spider powers to Peter Parker, but achieves his powers through totemic rituals that, that worship the spider. And he argues that Peter and he have their powers drawn from the same source. And it was an attempt to take the Spider-Man mythos in a new direction. Ezekiel is an, ex- is an eccentric, rich, older gentleman who at first is kind of a mentor to Peter Parker before things go south. That is the thing that as I watch, I'm like, this doesn't seem like the character I know from the comics. And, and so that is, is my concern. Also, Sony has yet to really do well. Um, but to their credit, we are attempting to bring into this Sony-verse three Spider characters that are heroes, Spider-Women characters that are four, three or four. I can't remember how many it was that, that you see in the trailer. They're, they're, they're finding a new way. That, that, is what we're, that, that is what I see. So now, Dave... You may rebut. Well, I think first off, you're the Spider-Man expert. So I defer to you on a lot of these issues. Um, I just, it it doesn't, Pat, it doesn't do anything for me in this trailer. And that's that's fine. I 100%. I, you know, maybe the teen angst part, maybe I, I, I kind of see your point on that. It did have this charmed, the craft sort of thing. It just, it just felt like, eh, I don't know. It's a lot, a lot of, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but right. And maybe I am pre-mad and it's just like, I, I just, 
don't like the Sony Spider-Verse movies. Well, uh, and, and and Sony, I will say this, Sony has done nothing to ass- assuage anybody's concern about the quality of Spider-Man, Spider-Universe film that they can make. Because, you know, Venom, Venom and Venom, Let There Be Carnage, are are fine and enjoyable enough as they are, but Morbius was was bad, was was just really bad. Uh, Craven the Hunter does not look good, just based on the one trailer we've seen. And so it has a lot of, it's got a lot of work to do. But look at, I mean, we're getting Julia Carpenter, we're getting Anya Corazon, who I'm very interested to see her because I loved her, her original character's name was Aranya, uh, and she was a, a fun take uh, on the spider character and spider powers. And then you get Mary Parker. Uh, I, I can get behind that. I think Adam Scott as Ben Parker could be interesting as well. My biggest problem is Ezekiel Sims. So that's that's where that's where I am with that. I you I mean, know sorry Tony go ahead man. Is there any way that this helps lead Sony to the plans they have for the Sinister Six movie? Or I mean, because that's their ultimate goal, isn't it? I mean, they keep they keep saying it, and I want to believe it. I do. I really do. Um, so we'll uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. We'll have to see because it's a really believe it when I see it sort of thing. But it's teased it. Does Madam Web connect to any of the Sinister Six? Because I mean, like, I mean, you well, know, she's not a villain. Like Madam Web, no, but is I, not a villain. She, no, I know. But does she? Could she lead us to having? She's has problems with one of the Sinister Six. Also, that brings them in. I, that has I, think, I think she's. I think she's going to be the one who sees the threads of them coming together. Okay. Like if you're trying, like I actually think that Madam Web is a good choice to create some connections amongst these different movies that they've that they've been putting out if that's the direction you want to go. Uh, it also begs an opportunity to connect it to the MCU at some point in some way, Why, shape, or form. I mean, Sony, they'd be stupid not to work together, wouldn't they, here at some point? I know, like, I mean... Well, they kind of do, right? They kind of have on us? put their toe in here or there. That's is a that little on bit though? on us. Don't it's go a little see bit the Sony shit, right? Right. Uh, but they're also so Sony, Sony who dropped the ball with the second amazing Spider-Man film, you know, the amazing Spider-Man films and amazing Spider-Man two is bad. I actually did not mind the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. I thought it was, was solid. I thought it was pretty good. It was, it was a different way to look at it. Amazing Spider-Man two just lost its way. In my opinion, there's parts of the second one that are good, but yeah, for the right. most part, I think I think I think when Harry Osborn is the first Green Goblin and not Norman Osborn as the as the first Green Goblin, it just it it's tough it's tough to to flip that canon when it's so ingrained in us, as opposed to Gwen Stacy, who we're all you know people were very much on board with because it it's still canon. But to to all of this, all of this is to say that if you're looking for a way to to thread connections, Madam Web makes a lot of sense because she sees dimensions and, and she sees multiple worlds and dimension. And even in the Spider-Man cartoon that I grew up on in the nineties and that Ray talked about very lovingly, like that's what she does is she sends Peter Parker through different dimensions and they actually bring the beyond her into play in the cartoon, the Spider-Man animated series. So there's possibilities there and, and it could be good stuff. So those are my thoughts. I really wish I could have been there for the Madam Web conversation because I think it would have been it would have been nice to to give that 
that perspective at the time. But what we are going to do is we're going to shift over to Doom Patrol, where where Tony was very was very not thrilled. Uh, did you, did we find Doom Patrol music? Did we have Doom Patrol music? I sort of half listened to it. We got uh, it. we got it. It's here. Excellent. You won't hear it until so, tomorrow, but that's fair. I mean, through the magic of editing. I still have no feedback from anybody on this theme music for this season. So you guys are going to spew in this. It's how's this Dave? It's fine. Thanks Pat. I appreciate that. Okay. Okay. Um, Okay. So let's, let's get into this. There was a lot of wallowing in self pity for like 30 minutes to 35 minutes of this episode of doom patrol. Like, Oh God, it was very annoying. It was very annoying. Everybody's feeling sorry for themselves. Nobody seems to want to do anything. They've all lost their longevity. Tony's feeling sorry for himself. Dave's feeling sorry for himself. Cliff realizes that Cliff in the middle of all this wallowing in self-pity as they fail to stop the rise of Amortis, which was Cliff's fault, even though Cliff continues to try and push things as not his fault. Um, though I get his motivation. Like, I get it. Like, every he's so desperate to to connect with his family that basically anybody that says anything about i can help you have the the connection with your family you're hoping for he he dives right into but like he's miserable about him you know feeling for feeling miserable about himself jane's feeling miserable about herself rita's feeling miserable about about herself fucking everybody the only person who's any level of like okay at least with with who he, mostly with who he is 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 cyborg like and even victor's like victor's just like i can't be cyborg i can't go back to that but at least at least he's okay with where he is right like well, i don't know man with, he made good with um like his his origin, yeah with his buddy his home yeah. you know, where he's from who he who he who he was before he became cyborg that's who he made peace with so yeah obviously that's gonna that's gonna help can I just go? Can I just go real quick while I'm talking? This will take yes. like two minutes. Since you hate I, the episode. No, I don't hate it, right? And I didn't hate last week's either. I just think they were dumb as fuck to have the break they did and stop where they did and reconvene where they did. I just think they picked a really bad point in the story to come back because it's not like you didn't really leave us with anything super crazy to look forward to coming back to to start. And that's kind of why the start's been kind of slow. I mean, I almost Correct. forgot why. I almost forgot why we're even fucking doing this until the end of the episode. I'm really starting to enjoy, uh, what is it? Is it Isabel, um, Isabel slash Immortus, Isabel feathers as Immortus. Like, I think that's the coolest contrast of fucking characters of all time. Um, so I hope it gets better. I do love doom patrol. I do love the characters. Um, 
Jane and Rita are so fucking hot too. I mean, uh, the, the actresses that play them, uh, Bigsby, April Bigsby, and I forget Jane's actress, but, and they're good. They're good at their roles too. The acting's really good. Brendan Fraser's great, but so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, April, it's April Bowlby. Bowlby, sorry. Bowlby. Yeah. And I know she's Latina, the other actress, but anyway, th- this is, yeah, Diane this is a, Guerrero. they just kind of lost me. I think it's a bad time to have the break in between. Well, and this and this episode, I, I will say I didn't mind the first episode because that sort of, you know, we were left with a cliffhanger as to what was kind of kind of happen and kind of in the bringing of a mortis back. Cliff, you know, is an idiot and comes back. And then we we get to we get to where we are now, where they're all aging rapidly. They're all again, they're just all wallowing in self-pity. Larry Trainer. Well, Larry just sitting in a fucking chair. He does when his when his you know when his lover boy comes back. Like good for him. Like and I'm the, happy for him. The guy who plays that role that the guy Larry pulled back into into reality. Um, the dude is from actor, Heroes. I forget. He's Ram, also Ramos, his name. yeah. He's also one of the great villains on the CW Arrowverse in the Flash. He plays Bloodwork. He is so excellent at the end of that series. But yeah, it's pretty cool for him to have a DC uh, character in two different um, stages of it. Dave, I'll turn it to you for a moment here. Um, yeah, I think I'm I'm with you guys. This episode was not one of the stronger ones uh, that we've seen. It's a lot of like you're saying, Pat. A lot of wallowing, a lot of self pity. A lot of, um, you know, what exactly is going on here? What I think the big thing for me is like, okay, what's Amortis's end game here? What what exactly is Isabel slash Amortis doing there? They're trying to get fame and notoriety, and when it doesn't do well, then she rewinds. And the only one who knows that she's rewinding this is Rouge. And you know, everybody right. everybody else like sees it happening and sees him talking. But like, you know, they had the one scene where she rewound and Cyborg didn't remember what had been said before, but Rouge clearly does. So there's something compelling about that. And then when things don't go Cyborg? Oh, Cyborg. I thought it was Robot Man. No, no. Cyborg. No, there's that clip. scene where there's Rouge and Cyborg. Are I remember what you're okay. talking about. Um, where they're in the they're in the T V right, studio. Right. And um yeah, I, I you know, it's like, well, she gets upset when things don't go her way. And when the Doom Patrol is more loved than Immortus is, she lets loose with the fucking, the only thing I can equate it to is the Black Canary screech that levels city blocks and kills everybody in sight. So, yeah, right. I, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, the big compelling thing so, is where's the zombie button? That's, you know, that's a big question. Well, and so let's talk about the back half of this, because I do think the last 15 minutes of this episode really kind of gets to what Tony is hoping for. They lay out multiple things that they got to fucking fix. Cause we got it. Jane's got, we got to fix Jane. We got to fix Larry. We got to fix cliff and well, not cliff, but the, the zombie, butt. and out of all this, you got a mortis just controlling everything right now. And my speculation with a mortis is a mortis was reborn. A mortis is like a child and very immature right now. And so there's a lot of power and it seems like there is some sort of meshing with a, Amortis's consciousness and Isabel Feathers as a person that is confusing what Amortis wants. Because Isabel Feathers, if you'll recall, was an aspiring actress that was competing with Rita Farr, was cast to play Rita Farr in a play. Uh, like it's it's one of those things. It's really there seems to be some developmental things happening because the way Amortis acts is like a child. 
It's like a petulant, angry, angry child. Uh, and, and we don't see that. Plus, we, we forgot we didn't even mention this. We've also got Space Case and her reconciling with being real, her quote unquote father and creator both dying as a result of that scream and trying to figure out what it is to be human. And so she like she wants to bond with Jane. She tries to help Jane and Jane just fucking tears her a new one. Yeah, she, Jane really, you know, rained on her parade there. Jane had no interest and and made it known that she had no interest and was very was very tough on her. But then recognizes that, you know, she was a bitch, did some terrible things and kind of walks back on it. Um yeah, I just I think that what this episode did was set up our last what four episodes that we've got. And what I'm concerned about is do we have enough time? By the way, Tony, when you're talking about actress crushes, I have always had a crush on Madeline Madeline Zima ever since she grew up. And I saw her in um oh, it's a show with David Duchovny uh that was on Showtime. X Flies. Oh, no. Uh, no, Cal- not Cal- X-Files. Californication, where Space. I had to wrap my brain around the little girl from the nanny being naked on top of David Duchovny and was like, oh, oh, my, she grew up. You're talking about Space Case? Yes, Space Case. That's how I felt about Totally Killer when the girl from Mad Men grew up and was a hot, you know. I was very, I, I, I had to really struggle with that and then be like, well, how old is Madeline Zima? Was I, am I old enough to feel okay with being like, damn, she's hot? Um, because you know, great, she was, uh, she's a youngster. Great series, by the way, Californication. Yes. Very good series. So anyway, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. Um, any other thoughts on this episode? Uh, oh, she was, she's only a little bit younger than me. I can, I can, I can look. That's fine. She's born in 85. We're all good. We're good. We're good, fellas. I'm glad you're censoring yourself, Pat. That's, that's important. Self-awareness. Why would I censor myself? I'm, I'm, you're, I, it is really rich hearing anybody on this podcast talk about censoring anybody else <laughs> on this podcast. I'm just, Tony, let's be real. Tony tried last ooh, week. Ooh, ooh, you censoring me isn't that rich. <laughs> exactly. So where are we here? Okay. Any other thoughts as we head into, we've got four episodes to go before we get to done patrol. This, this episode was called fame patrol. Uh, very intrigued to see what the aftermath of Amortis's latest scream will be. And um, yeah. Think- the next it's episode, like Donkey Kong. Next episode is called Immortus Patrol. Do you think we solve the Immortus problem in the next episode? I hope not. I mean, like I really hope not. Solve it with like we, three we episodes all... left. Because we talked about that. Well, it may not be the biggest problem that they have. And that's true. I just with all of the buildup that they just did to to get Immortus to, but at the rise, same time, this series got canceled before it could have known that it only wanted four seasons i bet they didn't want they wanted more than four seasons and there's a possibility that this was just supposed to be the introduction and that immortus comes back stronger more experienced like you said not freshly right so i don't know i'm just i'm just thinking out loud no i just yeah and that's the thing that that worries me and you make a good point because it is a it it does it leads you to i i'm i'm sorry i'm gonna cheat no no, spoiler alert. You no, just looked at the answers, episode no. titles, did you? I read the uh, synopsis that came along with the episode titles uh, in IMDb. Uh, the the graphic for Dun Patrol has got Cyborg back in his his cyborg 
suit. So, you know, we know that's coming. like, I'm out. You know, that's coming. So, Tony, this show never has nor will be spoiler free. So, and on that note, we are going to head into our first commercial break. Solid 45 minutes of chatter. We come back. We're going to take a trip to the trailer park and then talk a little bit about some casting rumors and upcoming films out there in the nerdosphere. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network on the Chairshot.com. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, part of thechairshot.com, where we remind you to always use your head. Remember, if you love what we do here on Bandwagon Nerds, and if you love what we do on the Chairshot Radio Network, make sure you head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the Chairshot and invest in one of our mini Chairshot shirt designs. We got all kinds of great ones. And if you are the third person to buy a Bandwagon Nerds shirt, we will publicly thank you on the podcast. That's right. Shirts are only $19.99. Spend a few dollars more, though. Get them soft style as we record this who knows? There may still be a Black Friday Cyber Monday deal going. There should be a Cyber Monday deal on ProWrestlingTees.com. If if I were a betting man, bet you if you type something like Cyber Monday or Monday Cyber or Dave's Anus or I don't know something, you will find a code that'll get you to hell. There's probably a code on the website right now if I just went over there and looked. But you can probably get a deal, get a Christmas gift for a loved one. If Dave Zanus gets you a code, please uh, let me know about. That. I'd be curious. That would be very that'd be very disturbing. So I'm going to call an audible on the trailer park. We're still going to go into the trailer park. We're going to venture in. We're going to play that be- beautiful banjo, but I want to shift the order of trailers around a little bit, uh, just just because uh, I feel like it. But before we can do any of that, we still have to play that beautiful banjo. So we're going to take a moment here and Dave. Play that beautiful banjo. Welcome in, everyone, to the trailer park. BC Tunney, Patrick O'Dowd, David Ungar, looking around. Only three trailers this week. We are going, I, I am going to shuffle the order around because I actually want to talk about the first trailer last. Sorry that I have listed on the rundown here. So I'm going to put it last because I'm in charge. You can roll your eyes all you want. No one, Anar- no one else. It's knew- anarchy, you- damn it. Anarchy. Sorry. No one else. Knew no, 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 no. I, I do that for your benefit. Like, I don't, I don't worry. Yeah. I, because I, I want would- you guys. Because when I'm I go here, enough. let's be real. I'm talented enough. Like if to I go, if, I'm talented enough. I know, but but David make a face, and we need to do this for Dave. 
Right. Oh, I did call him old on uh, the Thanksgiving extravaganza episode of DWI. Right. By the, by the way, kids, that Black Sorry. Friday deal. Hold up, hold up. That Black Friday deal. Ten days of Black Friday over on ProWrestlingTees.com. So save up to fifty percent November seventeenth until November twenty seventh. So you don't even have to pay full price for that third Bandwagon Nerds T-shirt and get yourself announced on the show. I'm just saying, invest in us. We appreciate it. All right. First trailer up, Dave, I know that you love you some Crisis on Infinite Earths. Tunny also loves him some Crisis on Infinite Earths, thanks to the CW. Big boner. Thank you. DC Animation seems to have given you your wish. As we got a very brief trailer for Justice League Crisis on Infinite Earths, a three animated feature event these look to be streaming on Max. We didn't get a lot, but Dave, what did you see and what do you hope for out of this animated trilogy from DC Animation? I'm hoping for a faithful adaptation of the comic. I'm I'm very optimistic that we're getting this from DC Animation, who does not, with very few exceptions, the Killing Joke, the notable one, they do not make mistakes. Um, and I think that, you know, for... The faults that the CW did with the Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, storyline, of which there were some, um, I I don't see that happening here. And I think that it is it is the seminal DC story. I mean, this is the one that reshaped the DC universe. This has the most emotion attached to it. You get to see the Flash. You get to see Supergirl. They are integral, if they're going to tell this story right, to that story. And I think that that's why I was so excited about this and the fact that Unlike, uh, I think it was like Crisis on Earth 2 was one of the early DC animation ones that they did, which was really good, but it felt too compressed. You know, they and that's if there's any problem with DC animation, they really cram a lot into a very short 60, 70, 80 minute window. Sometimes that can be, sometimes it can feel a little bit rushed, but more often than not, 90% of the time, it's fantastic. The fact that they're going to take the time to split this into three movies to create an anime, the first ever animated trilogy that dc's done i, I you know in even you know pat i know you're not the dc hardcore like tony and i are but anybody who's a comic fan should be really excited to see what these guys can do with that much latitude with that much of a whiteboard to work on so to speak uh it's really exciting to see this story brought to life in that way by a company that just you know they just don't make mistakes that often yeah i'm gonna watch these um it's a famous comic book story it's one of the seminal comic stories in the history of comic books like how can you not watch it and so i'm on board and i'm intrigued and i'm going i'm coming in blind obviously because i don't read the comics as closely so I, i look forward to seeing it uh and i look forward to your assessment because i'm really gonna have to like I'll, I'll be able to be like, Hey, this was a lot of fun. And I really enjoyed it. You're going to be the one who's going to probably be the tougher critic of the two of us. If, if there is, you know, criticism to be had. And, you know, I admittedly only got so far in the Arrowverse and the flash before we kind of stalled out a little bit. We haven't been able to get back to it, but you know, I don't, I don't even have that context to go off of for this. So uh, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. Tony, are you going to watch this? You know, I know, Yes, of course. This is like I've, I'm trying to catch up on all the DC animation because it's what they do so well. And and I, I'll just run down a few of the things that you should go back. You here are some things you can go back and watch. Um, 
that will help you get acclimated to what they're doing. They're going to do a great job with this. It's going to be excellent. This is one of the great DC stories, by the way, because it takes the different paragons from the different um, Earths. You know, it's not just set in one part in one Earth with one set of characters. It's you need the specific paragon from each of the Earths to come together here. And it really sees it really questions who you think some of these people are in the main earth that we're using um, and what their true intentions are and, and how they might view themselves as opposed to if they're really a hero or a heel. I love it here, here Batman under the red hood, uh, widely known as an excellent uh, animated movie, uh, justice league, doom, um, Batman, the dark Knight returns, uh, Superman unbound flashpoint paradox is excellent. Um, justice league war is okay. Um, I think the, what is it? Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, I just watched that, is phenomenal. So if you want to go back, find out which ones from the early 10s are really good, and then watch like the last few. I know they did the Death of Superman, um, and then like um, uh, Batman Under the Red Hood, I think, that if I didn't mention that already, is really good. Uh, DJ is a fan of Batman by Gaslight, I think it's called. Gotham by Gaslight is a really good adaptation. Of, of Batman in, in a different time period. So yeah, man, once you get hooked in there and kind of realize what they're doing, there's some really good green lantern stories as well, green which lantern is something, fly under the radar, which is something that, you know, uh, James Gunn moving over to the DC side, if he really wanted to try and make something that could end up being better than the Marvel Avengers universe would be, start a DC universe around the green lanterns and fill everything in that co- coincides with them, because that is someone that could be the, more powerful than Superman. If you did it right. Well, he's bringing in guy Gardner. Who's not right. He's not our that, green lantern, man. but you know, it's not going to be lantern centric though. It's going to be Superman, which is fine. I'm just saying the more, the better. Cause right. people don't know that. Right. But I mean, if he does guy Gardner, right. You know, it, oh, it, it really sets the stage to bring in other lanterns and, and kind of erase some of what happened in 2011. So, yeah, I, so that's that's kind of my take, Patrick. There's there's a ton of great DC animated movies. I didn't know if you know I was getting that into it or not. But, yeah, it's it's really fucking good. No, stuff. I, I I've got a bunch on my watch list on my HBO Max watch list as well. Last, last uh, most most just, of them centered just, around the Flash. But. Justice League Fatal Five. Amazing as well. Cool. All right, well, let's move on to another DC uh, trailer. The last remnants of the previous regime. We're finally we're finally wrapping up. We got our final trailer for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Uh, I mean, here's here's what I'll say. It doesn't look bad. The movie doesn't look bad. Like, honestly, like if I if, if I were coming into this cold with no other previous context, I would look at this movie and be like, take my money. I'm very interested in seeing this movie. And that is without knowing the comics that it's based on, which I know, Dave, you're going to get to because you've speculated on it every time we've talked about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. I, not again, coming in cold, I would like, and we're going to go see this movie, I'm sure. I haven't shown the final trailer to the little O'Dowd to see if he wants to go see it in the theater. In the theater. But like, the movie looks good. I really wanted more out of the black manta character in the first movie and i'm glad that he is the problem in the second movie and, and kind of honestly if this movie turns out to be good i even though i felt like aquaman the first one was you know was underwater thor and basically everything you saw was basically thor but underwater 
this movie looks like it is its own thing and could be quite good. And it honestly could be a shame that James Wan might not get a third, or, you know, isn't going to get a third one. And who knows? And Jason Momoa is no longer Aquaman. So that's uh, that was my reaction to this last trailer where it sure looks like Black Man to kill this kid. Dave, to Black Man to kill his kid kind of looks like it. Oh, I, th- I mean, I th- they say he took him. I in the trailer speculated in the chat. I don't know if you were still if you were in Florida yet or not, but they are teasing the shit out of the death of a prince storyline. And I question whether they had the balls to do it because that's that's a pretty iffy subject to go down to kill an infant son like that and and to do that storyline. Now, if you want to make black man of the bit like my wife hates black man she watched the trailer this morning and she's like, she just does not like this character as a good that's what he's supposed to elicit in you. Is that sort and of that's the idea? That is exactly the idea. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't. I have my doubts that they want to go down that path. I think they'll get right up to the edge and probably pull back from it. Um, so I don't think they'll go full death of a prince. I would love to see it, but that the problem with that is that it just doesn't matter. I agree with you, Pat. The movie looks good. It really looks good. Right. There's nothing wrong with the trailer. The big problem is that it doesn't matter it it has nothing to do with the new continuity it is an elseworlds title so there are no stakes you've removed the stakes from this completely except for this isolated bubble not you know don't pun intended that they are in right now so that's my biggest concern with this is like yeah the movie's great and so what you know that that's going to be the problem with this i'm with you i'm going to go see it because i want to see it and aquaman i think is a hugely underrated dc character i think he's very important to wherever James Gunn is going to go with this thing. But I, and because of that, like if they, if he was part of the continuity, I'd be more inclined to say they're going to pull the trigger on this thing because this has far bigger ramifications. It can turn Aquaman into a much darker threat moving forward in Gunn's universe, but just isolated like it is. I think they'll get right up to the edge and pull back from it. Tony, your thoughts on this final trailer and are you even going to see it? Are you going to, are you going to check it out? Here's the thing. I, I've long been a Heyman, Paul Heyman guy, but I've never been an Aquaman. Okay. Although it, it, that was bad, but shame on you. I was getting somewhere. You son of a bitch. <laughs> make, this, make better jokes. You son of a bitch. Yeah. I, well, you cast a big net. They don't all land. Um, so it, it, the bad guy story looks good. And you guys touched on that already. It looks like they're going to do a better job of telling that. And that's what I'm interested. In, right. It's also in 3D the week of Christmas, so I'm going to have time, and I'm going to go see it, and it's in 3D. You can also go check it out in Screen X. I've already checked to see if those things are happening. I was very surprised because I thought, oh, I'll go see another movie in Screen X, but DC did some 3D. So here's the deal. You want to know if we're going to get a – you want to know why if it's going to matter or not? We're going to make it matter or not because if it makes enough money, it's going to turn into um, Batman, James Pat, Pat – uh, uh, that that whole where it let, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Robert, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Sorry, sorry, that sorry. Was, sorry. Uh, wow, James Pattinson. Why do I do that way? But anyway, it would turn into something like that if it starts making money. Because, like we said, this looks like it's going to be one of the best movie, one of the better things they've done with Jason Momoa here. So I don't know. I'm excited to go see it. I'm going to go see it, Patrick. You're going to go see it. I think it's going to look good. Go see it in 3D. Cool. I probably. Um, 
it'll be a feast for the eyes, that's for sure. And like I said, it does look like a good movie. All right, let's get to the last trailer that I pushed back. This is actually a documentary that is going to be premiering on Showtime and Paramount Plus. If you have the Showtime like package, I don't know what you have to have on Paramount Plus to stream this. But um, December 2nd, there will be a documentary airing about what I would argue is the most influential and important album in popular music in the last 50 years. Not, I I would say maybe, and maybe that's overstating it today because who knows, but it is uh, the title of the movie is called thriller 40. And it's a look back on the making of Michael Jackson's most famous album ever thriller. And let me tell you guys, like if, if this had, if this trailer had dropped during bandwagon or not bandwagoners during musical chairs time, Dave and I probably would have spent an extraordinarily long time talking about this documentary as part of me talking about Michael Jackson because I could, but I'm not, and we're here and we're doing it. So it's another nominee for a possible joint musical chairs episode along with the Beatles. Right. But the the documentary itself, and for those of you who don't know, so like I'm 45 years old. I've, I've been very comfortable with that. Michael Jackson, before all the shit that happened with him later in life, Michael Jackson, like he was called the king of pop, and that was not a hyper hyperbolic statement. Michael Jackson, I would equate it to the popularity of Taylor Swift today in terms of not, you're, you're, I was like, just in terms of the sheer popularity and the fandom behind it and, and the way people, like, in fact, I would say that, Michael Jackson, you know, Britney was huge. Michael Jackson was bigger. Um, Taylor Swift is bigger than what Britney Spears was at the top of her game, period. There was Michael Jackson, there was Madonna. Those were the two. Uh, and that was maybe the debate in the 80s as to who was the, the bigger name. But Thriller fucking set shit on fire. And we talk about albums where every tune was a hit. Every single tune on Thriller was a banger and a hit on some level. Every single tune charted and that it took this long that it took the 40th anniversary of this uh, you know the 40th birthday of this album to get a documentary about the making of this album and everything that surrounded popular culture with it because they they make a point of showing him busting out the moonwalk at the at the um motown tribute concert like all of that this, I can't wait for this documentary. I can't wait to watch it. I have Showtime anytime because I have a Showtime subscription. So I'll be able to watch it that way or I'll be able to watch it on Showtime on my DirecTV. Uh, but I'm going to watch this. I'm going to interrupt my holiday movie watching regime just to watch this because I am very, very interested in this. Thriller is one of the greatest albums of all time. Everybody in the 80s owned a copy of Thriller. I own it digitally and I own it on vinyl and I own it on CD. Like, you cannot have enough copies of Thriller in your collection of music, in my opinion. Can't wait. Can't wait. Dave, Tony, either one of you, comment on this documentary and even just the influence of Thriller. I mean, Michael Jackson is the king of pop for a few reasons. Um, His music's amazing. Uh, His voice is phenomenal. Uh, He introduced dance moves into pop culture that couldn't probably have been done by anybody else or introduced by anyone else. And, you know are replicated by few, um, but not to the degree uh, of perfection he had. Um, so it's like that triple threat of dance and music and 
voice was all there. He was, he was, he was perfect. Right. Except well, almost. Um, so has a pretty big exception. Yeah. I mean, well, like, you know, you know, if you watch the documentary, then shame on you for listening to his music anymore. I I haven't watched the documentary, so I can keep listening to his music. Um, that's a joke that a comedian made once, but anyway, it's just, the video is amazing. It, it transcended pop culture. He's still the king of pop. The highest title you could give Taylor Swift, in my opinion, is the princess of pop because no one's going to surpass Michael Jackson. No, I, yeah, I, I think as big as Taylor Swift is right now, she's not Michael's. I, I don't think so. And I think I completely disagree with you at that one. I think that is a completely a generational statement spoken from somebody who lived during Michael Jackson's era. Yeah, like, but I said living during thing. Taylor Swift's era, and I still don't I the, see it as as being. I said as big. the same. I, yeah, I, said I the completely same thing disagree as, with you. But. I said the same thing as Dave, and I'm three years younger than you, Patrick. Yeah, but you said it in a way that didn't trigger me the way Dave. I mean, like Dave's face just triggered me. Oh, that's oh, fair. Yeah, then so I'll just then I'll, you be mad at Dave. Then if I'm not involved in this, then never mind. I'm not mad. I just I completely disagreed. I think that it's an I I I think there is a real tendency here for us, and I and I'm including us. Like. It's not just like that we're living during Taylor Swift's era. It's consider where we were in terms of listening to music and, and sort of that experience. Like when Michael Jackson made that music, our our and we were there, our experience, he was very relevant to yeah. us. His lead like Taylor Swift's legions of fans are what Michael Jackson's legions of fans are. And Taylor Swift, like and I don't want this conversation to be about that. Right. I, I just think that there's a, a level of perspective. Taylor Swift is this generation's Michael Jackson, without question. She's got, me, in my opinion. Let me let me real. This is gonna take two seconds. I would say even if it's close, I give it to Michael Jackson because the lack of connectivity compared to the connectivity there is now in the social media outlets and the 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 the. the the saturation level is way greater now. And if it's even close, I give it to Michael Jackson. That's the only thing I was going to say. I'm not taking nothing away from Taylor. It's not an apples to apples comparison. And I, and I think that's, that's because of like Taylor's got so much social media penetration out there and, and is, I would say accessible to so, a grander and greater audience because of her reach. Her reach is bigger than Michael's was, And I think that I, I think it's I, okay. So the, Again, we're going to talk about the trailer here to say, I think that's an unfair argument to make. And like you said, it's an apples to oranges argument, because are you telling me that if Michael Jackson existed now, and, you know, if 80s Michael Jackson, thriller Michael Jackson existed now, or if Taylor Swift, like you can't, it's like talking about how well Babe Ruth could hit in modern baseball. You just can't, you don't know. I, I'm willing to bet serious money that, you know, Michael Jackson would have been just as exposed and maybe overexposed because our our media was so different. Tabloid media was so different. Like I I think Taylor would have been just as big then as now. And I vice versa. I think Michael Jackson would be every bit the phenomena that Taylor is now versus then. And I think her life would have been the one under scrutiny on the National Enquirer. Like people forget, like we got our we got our gossip on famous folks through the Star, the National Enquirer, TV Guide, dirt sheets, print publication. It was those were dirt sheets. It was tabloids. I really believe I believe this, and I and I think 
like I'm not a Taylor Swift expert by any means, but watching the phenomena of the people around her and the and the and the links that people go to see her perform, that that when you see when she, when when she puts out a new album, just like when Michael put out, because remember the remember how crazy people were when Bad was coming out, like when Bad was when, when Bad was coming. That's what Eras was now, in in my opinion. I but it's hard it's hard to know what Taylor would have been in 1980, you know, in 1983. We just don't know. There's like Michael also had the premiere of like black or white after an episode of, um, living color on, on network. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's television. There's no disputing that they're both phenomenons unto themselves. And so, you know, whether it's a and B or a sub one or what, I mean, whatever the case is, but getting back to the trailer, um, yeah, 40 years of thriller. That that's that's kind of stunning. But you know, when you look at what Michael did, what that album did, you know, Michael, I mean, I still remember the first time I saw the Moonwalk performed. I was like, what the fuck was that? And it was just like mind-numbing to think, did he actually just levitate across the stage? And and you know, anybody at that time tried to mimic it with, you know, I couldn't do it. You know, I, there's no way I could I could mimic that thing. But um the other thing about Thriller is just, you know, the songs that were on there, like Pat, you were saying, they're all bangers. The video for Thriller revolutionized the music video industry. It it, it was the first video. I mean, and there's other important videos. Don't get me wrong. But that was the first one to tell an actual story inside of a music video. And it was and it was this 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 horrific sort of story, tongue in cheeky shirt, to be sure. But it was a video like. And you know me, you've done musical chairs with me, so you know that he is not in my wheelhouse when this album comes out. I mean, I'm much more hard rock and metal oriented, but even I recognized, wow, this guy is really something different. Um, So as far as Thriller and a documentary on on the importance of this and and the legacy of of the record, it's got to be top five, top 10 at the very minimum, most influential and important albums of all time. 100%. And it's funny. You, you mentioned the Thriller video, but people also forget the Billy Jean music video was kind of revolutionary at the time with him walking on the light up sidewalk and, you know, telling the story of a woman he says he only danced with, claiming that her baby is his. Uh, Beat It was was a whole I mean, that's really when you started to see the dance thing uh, cast. He cast members of rival Los Angeles street gangs. Uh, and not just any street gangs, the Crips and the Bloods for the music video to do a dance battle in the music video. Like it was crazy. And then, then there was Thriller directed by John Landis. And he convinced Eddie Van Halen. Eddie Van, Van Halen so was Yeah, to do the guitar riff. Van Halen was yes. huge at this time. And he came, Eddie saw the writing on the wall and said, yeah, I'm in. And he made that he made that album when he was 24. But think about you know, the teamed up, teamed up with teamed up. You, you talk about Eddie Van. Sorry, a couple other things real quick. He, it's not just he also he teamed up with Paul McCartney for the video "The Girl Is Mine." He and that's the thing is the girl is mine. Famous video. Billie Jean. Famous video. Beat it. Famous video. Want to be starting something? Kind of famous video. Thriller. I had trouble making you, a fucking cup of coffee when I was 24. Yeah, but you bring up the age of 24 and. He's already 19 years into this thing. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. Being abused by Joe I, Jackson. It was good times. I'm just, I, 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 yeah, I mean, no, I get you. I mean that in a positive way where he was already ready 
to have this unbelievable success collaborating with these guys who and gals who are already like at that level that he had ascended to, right? And almost surpassed some of them and just came to be uh, peers with others like the Beatles and things of that nature. So musically, yeah, it's 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 pretty damn impressive when you think about it. And just uh yeah, this is this is going to be, I think, a very interesting documentary to to follow, to read, uh, or to to learn about. I, and I know that it's going to encompass everything from the tracks to the music videos to the work behind it to the famous moonwalk moment. Like all of it seems like it's in there. So I can't wait to see it. All right, let's get to some news around the nerdosphere. Let's leave the trailer park. Uh, Tuddy shared this in our DM chat. Uh, I think. Uh, where uh, Tim Allen was on the Jimmy Fallon show and was doing an interview where he revealed that both he and Tom Hanks have been approached to do Toy Story 4. And as I sat there, or sorry, 5, my bad. As I sat there thinking to myself, self, do we need a Toy Story 5? Why, why are we getting a Toy Story 5? The answer hit me like a freight train. <laughs> Everybody's got a price. Everybody's gonna pay. Cause the million dollar man always gets his way. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've never been more proud of Patrick O'Dowd. Uh, a, a proper villain with a solid soundbite game is like the, the one of the highest levels of achievement you can have in the podcast world, in my opinion. And this man is just rocketed. <laughs> Tim Allen and Tom Hanks are everyone. And Walt Disney is the million dollar man offering offering money i i responded to this right away when you posted clearly did pixar's out of ideas or is just struggling and disney knows that it, it can make some money because and, and and toy story purists will tell you this we didn't need a fourth one and now we're getting a fifth which i'm sure it'll be fine i'm sure it'll be entertaining i'm sure it's gonna make a shit ton of money because kids love like you want to talk about the worst experience walking through a disney park Walk through Toy Story Land, kids. Dave, is, are you laughing or are you agreeing? I can't. I, I don't, are both. you sneezing? I'm laughing and agreeing. Yes. He's having a he's it, having a bad flashback. It's fucking hell on earth, man. Like it is, and, and just to extrapolate this a little further, just to, to really sell it in, it's that Toy Story Land then leads into Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. If you just want to walk through a shit ton of people because you hate yourself, do both back to back because it's it's a fucking throng. But no, I like sure. Make another Toy Story movie. We're gonna get it. It's all about money. Go ahead. So I haven't, I haven't, I've seen the first. I've seen Toy Story. I have not. Yep. I've seen bits and pieces of the next three. Are any of them set before the very first Toy Story? No, they've all would, been told chronologically. Because would it be an interesting thing to do the packaging of said Woody and? Um, what is Tim? What is Buzz? They, Buzz? They Lightyear tried to do that with Lightyear, sort of. George, George Lucas, sit your ass down. We're not doing a fucking prequel. 
I don't know their ride, their, their ride to the target and then the family's ride to get them and they finally come home and who, who knows what this is going to be. I've never seen toy story four. I'm not, I will say this toy story three, toy story one, two, and three as a trilogy are all very, very good. Toy story three to a lot of people like brought people to tears because of how beautiful it is. And it was such a logical ending to the toy story story. Like Andy, bequeaths his toys his most prized possessions to another child who he knows will take care of them and love them and it's about growing up as beautiful and that's all they needed <laughs> and then we got whatever toy story four was and so boo i i get it disney you you little cash churning machine you uh between this and wish which from what I understand, while Wish is a lot of fun to watch, is a hell of a lot of Disney being like, how great are we, everybody? Take Here, give us your money while we pat ourselves on the back for 100 years of awesome. Thank you. Dave, Toy Story 5. You, you say that, and, and you and I are contributing to all that stuff. So, yes, exactly. Oh, I, I 1,000%. Gladly, I, gladly. I think I sent you a picture of that thing, Tony, that you are showing me your Disney 100 Lego set. Uh, that's nice. I get it. Disney I get it. I just I spent ten minutes at the opening of the show talking about how I much know. I love going to Disney I World. I, I get it. But Toy Story get it. Five, like why? I I'm like you. I got through the first three. We I don't answered know that happened. question. It was this. <laughs> I, know. I just wanted you to play it. That's again. the answer question. Anyway, uh, but I. I haven't seen the fourth, so I, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I don't know the plot point. I don't know where we go from. I mean, yeah, you can recycle this for the next 20, 30 years, just passing the toys on to another kid and making money. I, I was hoping you can, but we don't have that. Power. No, no, not that. Twice time. is enough. Sorry. Ship um, is sailed. Twice in a lifetime. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, okay, I guess I like the fact that they're bringing back the original cast. That's about the only thing I can say about it. And and from there, I I. It I, doesn't do anything for me. But did didn't one of the voice actors from not not from Woody or or Buzz, but didn't one of the voice actors that portrayed one of the side toys didn't they pass away recently? I want to say I saw that. I'm um, I'm sure one of them did. There was a lot of well known reputable actors that played voice characters in here. Um, I know. Um, Cliff Clavin Ratzen, played somebody, Ratzenberger, right? Ratzenberger. Ratzenberger. Um, did Ratzenberger the, pass? No, uh, but I'm just thinking of people. And then who played the um, Spin City, the uh, last? Oh, Don Rickles. Don Rickles passed Rickles away. Passed. Okay. And Rickles was a character. Tatehead? Mr. Uh, Tatehead? Was... No, that's uh, Ratzenberger. Is that um, Ratzenberger? I'm going to look it up real quick. Hold on a second. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'll, uh, I'll I, IMDB it. I don't know. Some of these things are so iconic, though. And like Dave said, you could just keep going with this, right? Like you could turn it into like a Penguins of Madagascar series on Disney Plus if you wanted to with the toys moving forward. And each generation can have their own. This is a story you can tell throughout generations, right? You don't you can have Toy Story 55 if you want in 2136 because it's going to be a different story. Don Rickles was Don Rickles was the original. Don Rickles was the original Mr. Potato Head. And oh, I guess I mean I guess people have passed away before because Jim Varney was this was the original voice of the Slinky Dog, so Ernest, yeah. Uh, so you know I guess it it has it has happened before, but uh, I don't know. It's just it's weird. Ernest 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 goes to get his back waxed is my favorite one out of all of them. Oh, 
Mm, okay. Um, gotcha. Let's, uh, you know what? I love the no selling. I just don't know what to do with that. So I'm just going to go to all of the casting rumors. Uh, cause that's the next thing on my rundown and just will help me maintain my sanity before we get to our big story after the second commercial break. Um, I did want to talk about some stuff that's sort of floating around. The first thing I want to talk about, though, I want to go back to the Fantastic Four. And this is not so much a casting rumor, but an interview that was done by one John Hamm, who talks about a desire. He was once rumored and set to be cast as Mr. Sinister in the X-Men film. And he expressed some interest in portraying one Victor Von Doom should the opportunity come his way. Now, I want to be clear, nobody is tying him to Victor Von Doom. Nobody has said he's been cast as Victor Von Doom. This is John Hamm giving an interview, talking about how enthusiastic he's always been for comic books, comic book films and entertainment, and that he would be very interested in portraying Dr. Doom. I could get behind John Hamm as Dr. Doom. I said it. Dave, could you get behind John Hamm as Doctor Doom? Yeah, I think I think I could. I'm thinking about it and trying to envision it, and yeah, that that might work. That might work out pretty well. I think I'd probably still give Adam Driver the edge, but John Hamm could do it as well. Well, here, let me ask you this: If you cast, let's say the Pedro Pascal casting rumor is true, does it make more sense for John Hamm over Adam Driver? Because I do believe Hamm is significantly older. And if we're trying to be contemporaries in, within the Sage Age group, that fits. If you're trying to be consistent with that and you're not going to bring in a much younger Dr. Victor Von Doom, which of course would make no sense story-wise, then yeah, I agree with you. John Hamm would make a lot more sense if you are going with an older Reed Richards. Tony, Tom Draper? I, I want to ask you guys a question. I, yep. I, I like it. I like it. I think it's cool. I, I'd love to see it. But I'm a fan who's going to go watch a movie. Or, or, and, and uh, I'm a fan who's going to go consume and let somebody tell me a story. I want the two of you to put yourselves in the director's chair. Okay. Do you want a talented actor who always dedicates themselves and researches and tries to get in touch with what the director's vision is? Or do you want a talented actor that is super up on the material and is a super, is a big fan of it? And that's why they want to do it. Which actor do you choose? Because one is really going to dig themselves into what you're saying. And the other already has a preconceived notion of what they want this world to be. Where do you want to go with it? They're both talented. Dave, I will, uh, I'll see to you. I would go with number two, I think, because I like somebody who's going to be very passionate about the source material has studied the source material is going to put all their heart and soul into that performance. Um, as you know, as long as they're not just going to go off and do everything that they want and not listen to any sort of direction. I mean, that would be, that'd be the deal breaker sort of thing. But I think rather than somebody who's just going to follow my lead. No, but the other one, the first one's still a professional that digs themselves into the material, but they're going to be more impressionable. I, I, right. I, I just want one is kind of, preconceived notions that I just wondering what the, what, you know, you you would take the interest over the lack. Yeah. I think you look at like, um, you know, the easy comparison is is Geralt of Rivia and Henry Cavill's performance of that and how epic it was. And no, I'm not saying it's Henry Cavill, but 
but you're burying yourself here because at the end of this run, it differences come down and he leaves. So you it don't does. even get to finish the but story. But if you're talking about him. just one movie, then I want somebody well, passionate I, about that rather than does this is this just one movie? Well, again, we don't. I, probably not. Probably not at this point. If if the rumors that we're hearing surrounding Doctor Doom possibly supplanting Kang, if it, if it never were, if if the Jonathan Majors thing really does fall apart, I I do tend to err on somebody who has a passion for the character and wants to be the character. Uh, I also I also think that there's there's and even when you have an actor who's coming in cold because. Here's here's the thing you run the risk of if there's an actor who's less invested, maybe not as passionately in love with the character. It's it leads to scrutiny on a performance. Now, that isn't to say that that actor won't do a great job and, and could be a revelation or whatever. I I do tend to tend to lean to if if you're looking at one of your your big time sort of flag standard barrier standard bearer characters that you want to carry multiple movies throughout a series of whatever. I want somebody who is, you know, going to go after it the way Chris Evans went after Captain America. And Chris Evans was a big fan of the material and did it and did it right. Or, you know, or a Josh Brolin, actually, oddly enough, Josh Brolin loves this shit and, and, and plays multiple comic book characters at different times. You know, he was Thanos. He was Cable. He's like, he he has he has died in the MCU and will then be resurrected in the MCU when he shows up as Cable. And I just can't wait for Deadpool to be like, haven't I seen you somewhere? Or something like that. It's gonna be good stuff. So I, I don't know. I don't think you can lose either way. I think both guys would be thoroughly competent um, and would be great Doctor Dooms. Uh, but if you if you wanted me to pick, I'll probably with Dave and, and option two. And that's probably my own bias as as a geek and a fan, too to be honest, uh, of the material. So I want somebody who loves the material as much as I love the material to be in that job. But you can get where a director would go. I already love the material enough and it's there. I just want someone to do what I fucking tell them to do. You know what I mean? Like there's pluses and minuses to both sides. And I didn't mean that the unaware one either. You know what I'm saying? So absolutely. All right, let's get to Dave's favorite comic book character of all time. Superman. We're getting all kinds of rumors flying about, with Superman legacy casting. Now we've had a few announcements here or there that have been confirmed this week. Hollywood reporter must start with an article that they put out uh, on the 21st of November announced that according to them, according to the Hollywood reporter, Superman legacy has cast Skylar Gisando as Jimmy Olsen. And I had to be like, who the hell is, Skylar Gisando, maybe I pronounced his name wrong. Apparently, he's known for his work on HBO's Righteous Gemstones. Um, I look at the picture of this guy and I go, kind of looks like Jimmy Olsen. I can buy that. Uh, Within this article, they also say that Sarah Sampaio, a Portuguese model known for her Victoria's Secret work, has been cast as Eve Tessbacher the assistant and sometimes mistress to the scheming villain Lex Luthor, who we will get to in a second. Dave, I go to you as our resident Superman expert. Do either of these castings mean anything to you as a fan of any of this? Tony is holding up. I can't see what you're holding up. Your screen isn't coming through. Just read it to us. Go to the bandwagon nerds thread. 
Um, the guy who's playing Jimmy Olsen, wasn't he in the remake of Vacation, Pat? Isn't he the kid, the awkward kid who gets the bag put over his head in the, in the car? Because I, I know you and I did the nerd review on that. And it's like, that's the same guy. Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's my best answer. It's like, well, maybe. I, I mean, Jimmy Olsen is kind of that. I, I'm trying to think. And it sure seems like, I mean, we haven't seen Miss Tessmacher since the original Superman movies, have we? Um, so it almost seems like his gun trying to reinvigorate some of the spirit of those original Christopher Reeve movies by bringing in Miss Tessmacher. And, and if he's doing that, then yeah, this kind of awkward, goofy, sort of leaning more on, on, on awkwardly shy sort of side of the fence that might work for Jimmy Olsen. So I'm, I, I don't know, I guess I'm not, I'm not overjoyed with it, but like, you know, going, you know, talking about the Arrowverse, you look at the portrayal of Jimmy Olsen and Supergirl. That wasn't Jimmy Olsen. That, that's okay. This real confident strapping guy who shows up in national city or that sort of thing. It's like, that's not Jimmy Olsen. I know. Um, but right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it works. I'm not sure, but I, I, I can't give you a better answer than that, Pat. Yeah, I, I guess so. Well, let's, okay. So let's get to the other one. Then let's talk about the big one. Lex Luthor, uh, came out this week, reportedly cast uh, this week by James Gunn. Nicholas Holt, many of you may remember Nicholas Holt, played Beast in the most recent iteration of the X-Men films that came out, the X-Men Days of Future Past, X-Men First Class, etc., uh, etc. Et um, that's great casting. Nicholas Holt's a hell of an actor, and I could see playing a ruthless businessman slash foil enemy of one Superman. He's also been in some other great films, Warm Bodies, as a, as a zombie romance love story thing I've seen him in. He, I think he'd be terrific. I think he'd be great. So count me as interested and in for Nicholas Holt as Lex Luthor. I mean, Nicholas Holt's recently done Renfeld in The Menu as well. So Yes, he has quite the resume. If you yeah, will. No, the, the message I sent in the bandwagon nerds thread has a list of a long list of the characters possibly being played here by different actors and actresses. I, I think right. I don't, I, I, I trust James Gunn here. I don't, it doesn't, it's fine. I'm, I'm ready for whatever he has. Um, yep. the, the Lex Luthor thing, that's a casting you can't really envision because you don't know what he looks like bald. I would imagine he's going to be bald here at least at some right. point. He's, you know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I trust James Gunn. I, and these look like a lot of talented actors and actresses. And if you go in their IMDb or whatever, Wikium, they've been in a lot of good stuff. So, yeah. Holt being probably top of that list. I'll say this, uh, Sarah Sampeo, certainly not hard on the eyes. So you've got that. It's <laughs> like, okay, not a problem there. I don't care if she can act or not. Uh, the casting of, of Nicholas as Lex Luthor. Yeah. I like that. I think, I think, you know, I, and I know it's it's not a hard bar to reach, you know, the Jesse Eisenberg portrayal of Lex Luthor, which was certainly hit and miss. Um, but I like this as a casting. I think Nicholas has got a bit more range than Jesse does. Um, I think, you know, I don't think you're going to get the same portrayal as Lex Luthor. This is supposedly later on in Superman's life. So it's obviously later in Lex's career as well. Their relationship is... Um, you know, it's very different from Batman and Joker. Superman and Lex is 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 
there's begrudging respect, even though they want to annihilate each other sort of thing. So uh, I'm interested to see how that all plays out. And I think that's a, a smart casting decision. And I tend to agree with Tony Gunn doesn't, you know, that we've all talked about it. The thing that made the MCU so great is casting and DC's had issues with that. And I, I tend to trust James Gunn, like Tony says. So I, I think it's a good call. Yeah, I think um, until he's proven us otherwise, we we have to have faith in in what happens. And clearly, his Guardians of the Galaxy work, his knowledge of the material, and his comics have proven that he knows what he's doing. So I tend to trust it too. All right, we're going to take our last commercial break, and when we come back, we have a huge piece of news that came out of the Star Wars universe. I don't know if it's mind blowing, but it's definitely big. Catch our opinions on it when we come back. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, part of the ChairShot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code ChairShot. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code ChairShot to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Welcome back, everyone. Bandwagon Nerds still here on the ChairShot Radio Network, part of the ChairShot.com. Be sure to head over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the ChairShot and invest in one of our dope t-shirt designs. Black Friday sale active as this podcast is going on through the 27th. So you still got a little bit of time to get on there and get half off a shirt. There are some restrictions, so make sure that you double check when you buy. Okay. Last big piece of news out here, and I think this is a good one because it was announced via Vanity Fair and other news outlets that Dave Filoni is now Lucasfilm's chief creative officer. He is now basically the James Gunn, Kevin Feige, etc., etc., of the Star Wars universe for Disney. Of all the names that have been bandied about in doing things within the Star Wars universe, Dave Filoni, particularly with, you know, starting with his work in many of the animated series that we love, Clone Wars, Rebels, so on and so forth, this is a good move. I think this is a very good move. I think it's an overdue move. I think it's somebody who has weathered a lot through various Star Wars leadership regimes and his creativity and his work has been the guiding force of the most recently successful Disney Star Wars projects. So gentlemen, I'm going to cede the microphone over to you. We'll start with Tony and then Dave. Talk to us a little bit about this news because I think it's about as significant as it could be. When you think about the future, you start with the present and then you reflect on the past. And Filoni obviously has a lot of credit to be due with Mandalorian and Ahsoka, right? And the underlying base is, you know, a lot of the animation with the Clone Wars and Rebels and things of that nature. So why wouldn't you have someone who is already basically in charge of your most successful present being the Mandalorian and Ahsoka? with that base of your successful past be in charge of what you're trying to do moving forward. Because honestly, people are getting more excited now for Mandalorian than they are another Jedi story. 
at least in the inner circles of what who we talk to or or we are, I would imagine it as a whole, I think I speak for all of us. So why not? I know I've heard a lot of stuff about what's going to happen with Ray, the character and that nature. And it's something you didn't expect. Um, but I, I'm great with this, uh, Dave, I'm sure you can add and fill in the spaces that I didn't touch on there. I'm, but I would imagine you agree with what a lot of Patrick and I both said, I mean, it's a no brainer again to reiterate. There's nobody out there who has their finger on the pulse of star Wars more than Dave Filoni right now. I, I mean, like you guys are saying, it's 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 Clone Wars. It started with Clone Wars. It started with Rebels. He did Ahsoka. There's so many nods to Clone Wars and Rebels in Ahsoka. And I think as far as somebody who understands the current lore of Star Wars, nobody understands that better than Dave Filoni. Nobody understands where that is going better than Dave Filoni. They got his movie coming up, which is going to tie all this stuff together. And you're looking at... Apparently, Daisy Ridley's been presented with the script for the upcoming movies. She was caught off guard and said, I did not see it going in that direction. That doesn't mean she didn't like it. She just, I think, was pleasantly surprised at the direction that they're going under Filoni's leadership. We've said it before. It's the same concept that DC, this rudderless ship wallowing in the fucking tides for a while. Star Wars has not been that bad as the DCEU was. But they needed a direction. They needed a, a singular purpose. Somebody like a George Lucas, love him or hate him, love whatever he did with the prequels, notwithstanding and all that stuff. You need that one guiding vision to push this thing forward. And Star Wars is such a franchise with so many eras and so many threads. It's almost like, you know, going back to Loki, Dave Filoni can be the Loki to bring all this crap together and hold it together and make it make sense. And that's what Star Wars really needs. And I think... This is a brilliant decision, um, and I can't think of anybody better for this job right now than Dave Filoni. Yeah, I think Dave Filoni is absolutely the right answer here, and I think that it's going to be it's going to it's it can only help Star Wars. And you know, I, I, and there's you know we we joke we give Tony a hard time with the you know it's all Star Wars thing, but there's just been some stuff that, in my opinion, as a fan of the material, has been a mess, and so having what I think is a more unifying vision that connects to work that's already out there that has been proven to be good uh, will be great. First step, Dave, uh, revive Cad Bane. Still, I'm still mad about that. Yeah, <laughs> they got to do something because he was so important. In, in, in fact, Rebels, in fact, fucking wipe, in, wipe, wipe the book of Boba Fett from everything. Wipe it from existence. That's a felony thing too, my friend. That's a felony thing too. Felony didn't write book of boba fett he directed a lot of it didn't he not no um Do not really certain one second this is why we was have he involved in andor he was no. book of boba fett the book of boba fett was created by john favreau i love john favreau he was, i think we all do but he directed he directed one episode of that series. The other yeah, episode. Yeah, there you go. One episode so of a John one Favreau. Patrick liked. One episode Patrick liked. No, <laughs> no. Let's let's go through the credits here. He if you're going to shit, if you he was involved yeah. though, he was involved. He he. Let's see. John Favreau created, wrote. Filoni is involved. He has this. He has fingerprints he on. He directed. It. He he was friends with John Favreau and directed one episode. That just, is I wasn't, hardly, I wasn't hardly, wrong. I wasn't wrong. You weren't exactly right. Let's just say wrong. that. 
bet you it was, you one, of the, it was one of the Mandalorian seat. episodes he directed, right? Uh, I mean, it's got to be. It's obvious. Well, I don't know. I could go episode by episode and try to figure it out. Um, as it as it is, like Tony, you know, spoken right like again. a true C minus performer. Right, right again. There. That's right not again. even close. Yeah. <laughs> you C, keep telling C minus. C minus. Um, He's done stuff with the Bad Batch. Bad Batch is his too, which I haven't watched, but I hear really good things about it. Bad Batch is really good. Thoroughly enjoyable. Let's see which episode. I'm just looking to see which the lone episode where he has any he has a writing credit and a director credit for one episode. Again, hardly I, I know hardly the mastermind right. behind that I shit know sandwich. It you that I was right and you were wrong, but you you know you don't have You're to not right. You're sitting you're, there saying that's a Dave Filoni production and it's no, not even I close to right. Involved. I said he was involved. No, you said that it was a Dave Filoni thing. When it first got dropped, <laughs> you were like episode was a dave filoni thing all all kidding aside he does can i I share with you go ahead pat i was just gonna say the only thing i was gonna say is like he has seemingly been involved behind the scenes in a lot of stuff even if he's not on the like he had a meeting of talking about the inquisitors on obi-wan kenobi which he wasn't involved with the show but behind the scenes kind of talking about stuff so i heard i seen it is john favreau that he took a lot of inspiration from filoni from boba fett okay you know what? I I was trying not to play this, but I'm just going wrong, to. wrong, 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 wrong. You're wrong. You're grossly You're wrong. overstating Dave Filoni's involvement in the shit sandwich that was the book of Boba Fett. And on that note, it seems like a good time to move on so that Tony doesn't try to rebut once again, even though he's going to during what you're watching. Um, Tony, what you watching? Any of you watch Squid Game? No, no. Me neither. But I watched okay. the show, like but not the it, not the not the reality show, but I watched the series. Well, that's what I asked. Turn that asked. into a reality. I don't get it. It's excellent. I just watched it. Oh, are you talking about the series or the the game show? The, so I asked if any of you watched the series because I I thought you were I thought you were referring to the game show. Yes, I, I asked, watched the series and thought that the series was excellent. And I am referring to the game show, The Challenge, which I watched and I have not watched the series. And I thought if you're a fan of Squid Game or reality, you would like this because it's a pretty interesting concept. Um, they they mimic the deaths by everybody having a an, an ink pack right underneath where your collarbones come together, uh, where your neck meets your chest. So if you lose challenge, that pops and you're out. But yeah, it's a great social dynamic, a great concept. and. Uh, it's on Netflix. The first five episodes are out. I don't know if just the next episode is out Wednesday, the 29th, or if the next five drop, but a lot of people I've talked to that like reality shows and have watched Squid Game and enjoyed that have enjoyed this new reality thing uh, called Squid Game Challenge on Netflix. So that's what I've been watching. Did uh, as Leva Bates, that's the only thing I know about is wrestler Leva Bates was a contestant in it. Is she still in it or is she out? I like Leva Bates is so not on my radar that um, I don't know. Let She's me, probably out there. Let me look at a picture of her and I'll tell you. That blue pants from NXT? Blue pants from NXT, yep. And then she was the librarian character on oh, AEW. AEW yeah. with, uh, with the other guy, Peter Avalon. Right. So, uh, Dave, while Tony looks that up, what are you watching? I have not watched much of anything this week, to be honest with you guys. Watching Christmas stuff. I've been watching a lot of Christmas Vacation and your favorite movie, Pat, Elf. Um, Elf. So, yeah, yeah, Elf. So, um, 
Santa's, Santa's coming, dude. Is he? Oh, yeah, right. Santa. I'm not going to do it. I don't. I don't want. Nobody's been booed yet on this episode, so I. This could be the first time. Damn it. Speak of the devil. Speaking things into existence. (laughs) Ask for it. You got it. Almost. We almost made it for the first time in like years. But no, I just just too busy this last week to really get into much of anything on TV other than sports. Fair enough. I um, let's see. I was in a weird mood uh, because I was watching. I was watching one of the movie channels the other day, and I saw this. uh, I was a the Ethan Hawke led uh, version of Hamlet. Which, if anybody's ever seen this, he gives the to be or not to be speech in a fucking blockbuster. It's it's kind of terrible. Um, and I got so mad at it that I watched this morning. I literally watched my favorite film version of Hamlet, which is the four-hour Kenneth Branagh word-for-word word from the script version of Hamlet that is really epic in nature and scope. Has a ton of famous actors for the time uh, in all kinds of like interesting bit roles, like. Jack Lemmon plays a bit role in, in that cast. Robin Williams plays a bit role in that cast, which by the way, Robin Williams was a classically trained actor. He went to Juilliard. He was really, he was the real deal. Billy Crystal's in that movie in a role, um, in a side role. Uh, Kate Winslet plays Ophelia, like a lot of famous folks. So I watched that this morning, this afternoon. I will, um, after concluding our recording today, dive into the holiday movie collection. I started every year with the same film. That is the Irving Berlin Bing Crosby like classic white Christmas. Always the first film I watch when I kick off holiday season. I always conclude it with a 1950 something version of Scrooge starring Sir Alistair Sim. Always I begin in black and white in in black and white in between. There's a ton. In fact, May I inquire what what exactly is on your watch list? I mean, not all of it, obviously, but what are some of the highlights of your holiday? Because I know every year we talk about that. You always say that you've got your your routine. And I'm just curious, has that adjusted over the past couple years to include stuff like. So every every now and again, I'll add a movie or two. Like I added 8-Bit Christmas last year because I really liked that Um, because I loved 8-Bit Christmas for me. You know, you always talk so fondly of a Christmas story, and I and I definitely watch a Christmas story every year. And the sequel last year was really good too. Yeah, I liked it for what it was. Like, um, I didn't like I didn't it didn't connect with me as much as it did you, obviously. But like, I mean, I've got everything on here from like Scrooge and Home Alone to Emmett Otter's. What's that? I watched Home Alone Thanksgiving evening. Nice. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, Christmas Vacation, The Grinch, Holiday Inn, you know, Christmas, uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Like, you name it, I probably watch it at least once. Eight Big Christmas made the rotation. Uh, Jangle, Jingle Jangle, or Jangle, which is a Netflix um, musical um, fantasy Christmas film that was made um, starring Forrest, Forrest Whitaker. Uh, I really enjoy it. I love it. Um, stuff like that. Miracle on 34th Street, you know, the classics uh, all are on there. Uh, my last two films that I always watch, though, I always wrap it up with Holiday Inn and A Christmas Carol from 1951. Four Christmases? Vince Vaughn? Reach yeah, that's all right. Die Hard on your list. No. It's an action movie. Thank you. 
that happens to take place during a Christmas party. It it, it is also a Christmas movie, but it doesn't. It is not a Christmas movie. It is not about Christmas. It has nothing to do with Christmas. It pertains to the storyline during Christmas. But anyway, my my job um, here. I do not. So I'm in the middle. You've started the the fight. I'm in the middle. No, I don't. I mean, I watch Christmas specials that people have never heard of, like Nestor the Long-Eared Donkey. Oh, Um, okay. Right. It's a Rankin and Bass stop-motion animation. Same people who gave you Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yeah, that's who did that? The Dong-Eared Donkey thing? Oh, okay. Well, then I don't poo-poo on it as much because I like Rankin and Bass, so... There you go. Now you're offending. If I'm honest, Uh, I'll watch the old stop-motion, like the Rudolph and Santa Claus. Oh, great. Santa Claus is coming to town. Rudolph the Red News Reindeer. I watch all even of them. Frosty, like, even Frosty, because it's what if from what when if I was a Elf kid, would you know? have been? What if Elf would have been stop motion at the North Pole? I will say the one thing I do appreciate about Elf is that it is a loving, like it is a love letter in the North Pole to those Rankin and Bass specials. So much so they had to get special permission to to actually film the way that they filmed. It was I, I appreciate that. I do. Did you know that there's a game of hockey between Will Ferrell and the rest of the elves that got left on the editing floor? I did not because I'm not as obsessed with elf as you are. Uh, The other thing I intend to catch this week premiering on Wednesday, Godzilla minus one hits theaters this week uh, in the United States. I'm very excited about this planning on catching it this weekend. Totally. I, I do not have one of those theaters near me, so I will probably not see it in that 4D, XD, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's that. All right, fellas, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Thank you, everyone, for listening to me talk about my vacation. Thank you for indulging my opinions about Elf and Die Hard and all that fun stuff. I'm sure that fight will continue for many Christmases to come. It is important not to discuss like politics at a dinner table. You just shouldn't do it. Before we get out of here, fellas, though, let's do a quick once around. Remind everybody where they can find you on the Chair Shot Radio Network and on the socials. This week, we will start with David Ungar. Wow. I'm like like looking at this in um, three of the movie theaters here in town are showing Godzilla minus one. So I will be seeing it. Hopefully Hell yeah, you will. Hopefully reporting or we're going to talk next week about it. Um, you can find me on the socials at the platform formerly known as Twitter, now known as X at attitude ag. That is at attitude AGG facebook.com forward slash attitude of aggression, uh, Instagram and threads at attitude of aggression, all one word. And for not showing up on the emergency punk cast 10 this morning, send your hate tweets to at it's me DPP. Why Tony? Yeah. Fuck that guy. You know, you almost made it. What? An entire episode without dropping that dude's name on a show. I I didn't do it. Not you. Not you. Dave couldn't help himself. Tony, tell us where to find you on the socials. Well, right now you can find me looking up the fact that Godzilla minus one is in screen X in my area. So I guess if you guys want to talk about it next week, uh, let's see. Do we got a good, good, good opportunity on Saturday to watch this? Oh, man. I don't know. I'd have to fucking go to the movies at 645. We'll see what happens. Um, you can follow me at PC Tunny. Just continue to listen to everything Chair Shot Radio Network. We really do got you covered. Sports entertainment and sports entertainment. Um, yeah. I, the, the movie scene's only going to start getting better for us here as the strike is over. And uh, let's hope Doom Patrol gets better as well. And I just remembered I won't be here next weekend. So you guys discuss it. Well, wow, that's disappointing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like... 
I was going to say what anything, but what a tease! Yeah, you failed. All right, you can follow me on the on the X Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W R E S T L N G R E A L I S T. You can follow me every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Chair Shot Radio Network. Mondays talking nerdy stuff. Tuesdays, although not this week, talking hockey with one David Ungar. And Wednesdays, talking wrestling with Greg DeMarco on The Greg DeMarco Show. Also, be sure to follow Bandwagon Nerds on the X Twitter as well, at Bandwagon Nerds. We greatly appreciate the follows. And it's about time for a poll. Probably is Die Hard a Christmas music movie. Might as well start that fight on the socials. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds, however. So get yourself out of the basement. Get some sun. Start watching those holiday tunes. Eat all the leftover turkey. Check out Godzilla Minus One. Do all the geeky shit that you can out there. And we'll be back next week to talk about it all with you. You have been listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com.